right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. This is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. We have a lot to talk about today, particularly in the baseball department, so let's get right into it. We're going to start off with the news today. I also am going to be going over the scores from yesterday, as well as the standings as of now, and then I have a review for you guys, and then we will see how, uh, how everything is going from there. Uh, but let's get right into it with the news, and there is a big trade to talk about uh, between the Toronto Blue Jays and the New York Mets. But for those of you who are already in the baseball know, uh, this is revolving, uh, this is involving Marcus Stroman. For those of you who don't, uh, the pitcher has been traded from the Toronto Blue Jays to the New York Mets for two minor league pitching prospects, Anthony Kay and also Simeon Woods Richardson. There's a lot of, um, I guess, meh feeling about this trade, but I'll get into it in just a second. Stroman will be a free agent in 2020, and he and 20 starts this year. He has a 306 ERA, a 2.74 strikeout to walk ratio. He also has a 57.1 uh, ground ball rating, which means that he doesn't give up a lot of hits. Well, the majority of hits he is going to give up are going to be ground outs. So they're not going to, they're not pretty much hitters are not going to get on base. They're not hitting too well off him. He's not getting a lot of strikeouts per se, but again, he's getting a lot of outs. That's the point here. Now, he has a record of 6-11, and 11, and that's a little bit deceiving a little bit. I know a lot of people put emphasis on the record. Some people don't. Um, a lot of people put more uh, put more put more emphasis on the advanced stats and the ERAs and stuff like that than the record. I look at the record to, to an extent. Um, it's a little bit deceiving because you can't blame every loss on a pitcher, but sometimes things get out of their hand and what can you really say? So by going six and eleven, uh, I think not only is that somewhat maybe the situations he might be getting himself into as a pitcher. I overall just think that the Toronto Blue Jays aren't that good. Uh, we've already established that. I've eliminated. I, I've eliminated that team from playoff contention at least a month or so ago, if not more. Uh, we've already talked about how bad they are. Uh, but with that being said, the Mets aren't necessarily that. Well, they're, they're, they're better in the sense of the record, uh, but I don't see where they're all that great defensively. They don't really rate that well defensively. Uh, they have a couple solid defensive players, but again, this is a team that still gives up a lot, a lot of runs. Uh, but again, uh, at the moment, the Mets are currently 50 and 55. Um, now, they are currently fourth in the NL East. But with that being said, they will be holding on to their current ace, Noah Syndergaard, for now. So they do have a solid rotation. Of course, we do know Marcus Stroman made his first All-Star team this year, so it looks as though they have a they have a capable rotation. Um, but again, offensively, there's a lot that's lacking. I think that was a big issue as well. They do have uh, Alonzo there at third base, but again, there's a lot that they're lacking there. And I think the biggest uh, I think the biggest clue on to really how everything is going for the Mets right now is that uh, you got to check out 
giraffe neck marks reaction on YouTube. This guy, especially because he's a Mets fan and he's a, he's pretty knowledgeable about uh, the NL East and East Coast baseball. There's a good East Coast vibe there, so check him out on YouTube if you if you can. Giraffe neck mark. His reaction to this trade is pretty much what I needed to hear uh, because again, he is a he is that is his favorite team is the Mets and he's not really with it. Uh, he kind of really goes into why and I think we kind of mashed up in terms of a lot of different reasons in terms of just the lack of defense with New York right now it's not going to really make a difference uh, with having Strowman uh, also they're depleting their farm system which has already been kind of you know hacked and 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 kind of mired throughout the years so they're trying to develop their farm system and their you know their minor league talent uh, to eventually hopefully move up to to the major league so that's the that's the whole point there they're missing out on that as well they're constantly trading those pieces away um again this is a team right now that i don't see making the playoffs i think they're two they're six games away uh from a, even a wall card spot uh not only that they're i would like i said they're fourth in the division right now in that in the nl east right now and there's no there's no real way that they can surpass even the Nationals in second place, I would even give them the Phillies in third place. Uh, so I think that they're stuck uh, where they're at. And uh, I think adding another pitcher, I don't know where that really helps them, at least for right now. Maybe if they're able to add some more pieces in the office and maybe a couple hitters or something like that, uh, maybe we can go from there. But as of now, I personally uh, did not did not like the trade. Uh, some other notable trades going on. Oh, actually, before I get to that, uh, just to break down uh, the, the minor league prospects uh, that the Toronto Jays are getting, uh, the two minor league guys, uh, Anthony Kay, he currently has a minor league record of 15 and 17, but he's currently 8 and 6 this season. Uh, he has an overall uh, cumulative ERA of 469, but currently has a 250 ERA in the, in the AAA league right now, so he definitely has not especially on the uh, the AAA circuit. As for Simeon Woods Richardson in the minor and the rookie league, uh, he has a t he has a record of four and eight, but his his ERA is pretty good at 3.76 uh, 3.76 ERA. So he's going to look to improve as well. So moving on, like I said, we have some other notable trades. Infielder Eric Sogard finds his way to Tampa for two other players, and this is going to be determined at, a, at another date because. Uh, Technically, uh, the Rays have to make some more room for him on that 40-man roster. So look for that to happen in the next couple of days. If I'm able to keep this story in my mind, at least, I'll be able to come back and, uh, and follow through with that one, follow back on this story right here. Uh, as for the Dodgers, they make some moves as well. Uh, the Dodgers trade a, uh, their minor league shortstop Daniel Castro to Seattle for Christopher Negron uh, out there for the Mariners. He's basically a utility player. He plays both in the outfield and the infield. So, and he also has a really good average this year. He's hitting for a solid amount of homers as well. Uh, Dodgers are looking for some power hitters uh, to get him through the rest of this stretch here. So, uh, definitely, they're definitely in the uh, the driver's seat in that division. I think they're looking to put a little bit of cruise control on and probably just add some more depth for the playoffs because they're going to need it, especially in the hitting department. Uh, everybody needs more hitting in the playoffs department as for the next team i'm going to be talking about for my new for the news here the cubs i don't know what they're going to need they might need a little bit of both uh but they have been struggling a lot uh the cubs lost saturday night uh their 20th 
on uh, their 20th loss in 27 row games. Uh, they lost that game to Milwaukee 5-3 to three, uh, with a game-running home run from second baseman Keston Hiura. Uh, this was a second-blown save for the Cubs in three games. Now, like I said, uh, the Cubs, they don't even know what they want. Uh, there's, I mean, they could, I mean, in, in my personal opinion, they maybe they could benefit from a little bit of both, but there's two quotes. Uh, one's coming from their manager, aka their coach, and there is another one coming from there. I'm going to have another one coming from their cloak, one of their closers, uh, just to kind of tell you where the different ideologies right now, at least in terms of what the problem is with this team. You got the manager, Mark Madden, coming out saying, saying basically, point blank, we've got to get more offensive. There's no question. However, the closer came, uh, the closer, Craig Kimball, who was responsible for losing the game for them on Saturday, pretty much blowing that save, a couple saves actually. He went on to say, we need to win games like that. So obviously there's a difference in opinion in my, in my just from what I'm seeing. Uh, I definitely see ownership within the bullpen that wants to get better. And also you got, but they also you have Mark Madden here, the coach saying, look, I think we need to hit some more runs. So again, and it's kind of hard to say in this situation already. You already got me saying maybe a little bit of both, but let's go on deeper into this. Aside from Saturday, the Cubs have lost, uh, have actually three more, one loss, uh, one loss, one run, excuse me. So aside from Saturday, the Cubs have already lost three other games by one run uh, just last week. The Cubs have also blown 19 saves this season. So they were in the position to win 19 games. They're either up by a run or more, and they were and they lost those games. Okay. And like I said, just this week they blow they blown three saves. Uh, just last week, excuse me, they blow they blown three saves, meaning they were already winning in three games this week by one, a run or more. More. And they, they they lost those games by by run or more. Uh, now the Cubs, uh, outside of blowing 19 saves, they've only been successful in 50 percent. 50 percent of those closing situations, meaning when they're up by a run or more, the chances of them winning pretty much 56 percent is what I'm saying. Again, when when it's time for the, when the Cubs go up by a run or more. Between the eighth and the ninth inning, pretty much this is the time where it's considered closing in baseball. They only won the game 56 percent of the time, so they have to be up by multiple runs in order to really be comfortable winning a game. That's pretty much uh, what I'm saying. <laughs> now the bullpen uh, has a lot to do with this. The bullpen has given has has a pretty much a four point uh, two twenty four point twenty seven ERA as well as a five point forty four ERA on the road. So again, they're giving up a lot of runs. They're probably giving up a lot of home runs as well. And since this NL division is so tight, the NL Central is so tight. Their personal division, uh, along with because they play alongside the Cardinals, they play alongside the Brewers as well, and both of those teams are in the mix. Every win and loss counts. So again, to be giving up 5.44, basically five runs on the road, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage every time. And currently, they have a 19 and 31 record on the road, which is worse than the fourth place team in the NL East, New York Mets, who we just talked about, who are pretty much in the dumpster fire at the moment. Chicago 
has gone eight and six since the All-Star break, but has led in 14. Check this out. They've gone eight and six since the All-Star break, but they've led in all 14 of those games. There's a problem. Mm, That's a problem. Chicago did beat the Brewers last night 11-4 to tie for first place in the division. Kyle Schwarber did go off going for two homers. He did bat in, uh, he did get in, drive in seven runs, which is a career high. And as far as the pitching goes, Jose Quintana couldn't go a full game. He gave up four hits and three earned runs. Uh, he did have three strikeouts though, that being the starter right there. But the bullpen did come alive and was able to get them through. They had three solid innings where they gave up no only one hit, no error, I mean, no earned runs, and also they had six strikeouts. So, again, they're trying to improve um, in some ways. I mean, they were able to get the win against the Brewers, but again, I mean, for they're they're they they have the benefit of playing in a division where it's pretty much wide open. So, uh, yeah, they you know they lost a couple, but the Cardinals are liable to co- drop a couple, maybe three in a row as well. You got the, the the Brewers who were number one in that division at one point in time. They slipped up to the third place spot. So again, there's there's time for all three of these teams to improve and get better. The problem is. What are the Cubs going to focus on? Is John Madden going to make up? Not John Madden, excuse me, Mark Madden. Is Mark Madden going to make them uh, focus on pitching? That's get the pitching that's giving up four runs at in general and also five runs on the road. Or is is he going to focus on that hitting? Now the hitting, in my opinion, is going to come. I think the hitting is going to be less consistent than your pitching. That's, I mean, that's just my opinion. That's just what I feel like I'm seeing. That I've always felt that I've seen in baseball. Good pitchers and good pitching staffs, if if you're able to get them to to uh, perform well more consistently, I feel like you get more wins. I feel like you uh, take away runs, and that's pretty much what's going to lead me into my money ball review. All about the earned run and all about on base. You got to keep people off base. You got to keep people from scoring runs. Uh, great pitching staffs do that. Good pitching staffs do that. Bullpens can do that because they can extend the health or they can extend what your starting pitcher uh, starting pitcher has already done. Uh, I think offenses, great hitters are good for window dressing. They're good for starting a game, uh, getting things rolling, but you have to be able to, to, to protect those leads. It doesn't matter uh, if Kyle Schwarber can score or seven runs on his own if your pitching staff and or your defense is going to give up eight runs by themselves. So uh, the, the Chicago Cubs have to think about that if they really truly want to get into the playoffs because if they're going to do it, they're going to have to win a division, period. Anybody in that in that central division, if they want a guaranteed playoff spot, I think they're going to have to just win that division outright and call it a day. The loser is relegated to you know somewhere to the the second place team is is relegated to a possible wild card but that third place team is done so uh it's imperative that the cubs get it together 
right now. Uh, but moving on, we got some more scores to go over uh, from yesterday. And we're going to start off in the National League East with the Braves taking a loss. This is interesting. They took a loss to the Phillies yesterday, 4-9. to nine. We're going to move off to the AL Central where the Rays get it done by run-run in the, in the AL East. In a competitive race there, uh, it, it, is a, it is somewhat of a three-way race in the AL East. And we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, but the Rays got a win against the Blue Jays, 10-9. Uh, the Rockies got it done against the Reds. We're going back. We're going back to the NL. Back to the uh, yeah. Back to the NL. Uh, the Rockies get the win here, three to two. We got the Marlins getting it done against the Diamondbacks, five to one. Uh, and another upset. The Nationals were able to to beat the Dodgers, eleven to four here. But the Nationals, they were led by their third baseman, really underrated, uh, Anthony Rendon. He had a three hits and also three RBIs as well. Uh, Brian Dozier, their second baseman, also had two hits in the RBI as well and pitcher Steven Strasburg you know what I haven't heard that name well I'll say it like this he's really a good pitcher but for whatever reason you know he's fell off everybody's popularity rating so nobody really talks about him except the fringed YouTube videos or whatever the, the, the national media don't necessarily hype him up no more but he, he seems to always get the job done he has a really good record really good ERA nobody talks about him a whole lot no more but uh, he was able to get the win yesterday he went for seven innings gave up two hits <clears throat> Excuse me, um, one earned run, and he also had nine strikeouts as well. <clears throat> and for the Dodgers, uh, short, uh, shortstop Corey Seager had a three-run home run, and that was his ninth home run of the season. So uh, the Dodgers, they got some offense, but again, uh, the Nationals and uh, the Nationals came, saw, and conquered, and they are in position right now. They can really challenge for that NL East. I have them out the mix, but. Um, I can eat crow if they win. So I don't have no problem with that because, again, I got love for the Nationals. I do got love for them. Uh, moving on, uh, we got some NL Central action, and it looks like the, the Twins beat up on the White Sox 11-1. We got the Indians. <clears throat> Excuse me, we got the Indians uh, taking a loss here. It's kind of, I don't know how they lose this one. This one is to Kansas City. Uh, they lose that one 6-9. to nine. Again, they're still in the in the in uh, on top of the wild card race, but we'll get to that in a second as well. Uh, we got the Rangers uh, losing to the A's. Yes, 5-6 to six is the final score there. Uh, we got the Orioles uh, losing to the Angels 5-4, to four, and the Angels are playing some good baseball. They may have a chance. Well, I don't know if they have a chance at the division, but they're just playing some inspired baseball, so I'll give them uh, some props there. Uh, we got the Mariners uh, beating the Tigers 3-2. to two. We got the Giants again winning another game, beating the Padres this time 7-6. to six. And finally, the Yankees got it done yesterday against the Red Sox 9-6 for the Yankees. Their shortstop, D.D. Gregorius, had a two-run home run. Their uh, catcher, Austin Romini, also had a two-run home run. And their pitcher, uh, Domingo German, he got the win going five innings, gave him four hits and three earned runs, but also had nine strikeouts. And again, he got the win, so that's what's important. And finally, for the Red Sox, their left fielder Adam Benatendi had three hits. He also drove in an RBI as well. And uh, their DHJ uh, JD Martinez and also the outfielder Mookie Betts drove in runs as well, but just not enough. And it looks like the Yankees, I think they got just enough in the tank to uh, to beat everybody out. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I come back, we'll be going over some of the standings. Uh, actually, we'll be going over all the standings, and then uh, we're going to go over some college football as well. So I'll be right back. All right.
right, y'all. Let's get back into it. We're going to go over the standings right now in the MLB, starting off in the AL like we always do, in the AL East to be exact. And the Yankees, yet again, they are still on top. 60 and 30 is their, 67 to 30, excuse me, is their record. They've gone 5 and 5 in the last 10. And like I said, I, I don't see any slowing down. Not at all. Not in the least bit. In the second place spot, we have the Rays. They are 60 and 48. They are in the wild card mix, uh, but they are currently eight and eight and a half games back in the division, four and six in the last ten. And like I've been saying, Tampa Bay does not deserve a team. They don't deserve baseball teams. I don't think they deserve any sports team. Uh, but going to the third place spot, the Red Sox are 59 and 48. They are six games, or actually nine games back, excuse me, six and four in the last 10. They are in the wild card game too. They are significantly further down uh, than, well, just a game uh, back behind the Rays there. But they are a few games back behind the leaders. Actually, just a game back behind the, uh, the second place team, the uh, BAs currently. And also, they're, a, they're about three games behind uh, the leader in the wild card race, which is is the Cleveland Indians so uh, the Red Sox have come a long way and they are starting to get a little hotter as well uh, moving to the fourth and fifth place spot we have the Blue Jays and the Orioles the Blue Jays are 40 and 67 the Orioles are 35 and 70 moving on to the AL Central we have the Twins who are still on top uh, 64 and 41 is their current record they've gone five and five in the last ten um, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of this team, to be honest with you, so I don't really know uh, what's what's their their, their uh, strengths and weaknesses. But you know what? Let's talk about these two guys. I, I, let, me, let me talk about these two guys here, the Twins and the Indians in the second place spot. I, I want to talk about these two guys in the AL Central because not just, and not today, of course, but I'm going to really do some research about these two guys because this race has has really a potential to be really go down to the wire, really get interested because, again, the Twins were leading this division by a significant amount for a good amount of the season, and the Indians have, have did not go away, and they continually just got they had you know periods where they were off and on uh, but they've been able to stay consistent as of late and they've gone, gotten two games back they've gone seven and three in their last ten the twins are five and five in their last ten so you know just two games back and they're currently hot right now the Indians are in a position to really give the twins a run for their money and the twins came in not necessarily came in as the favorite but as the season went on they currently established themselves as a favorite to win this division so, a uh, very interesting uh, development we have going on in this divisional race as well. But in the third place spot, we have the, the, the White Sox, who are currently far, far back. They're f uh, 46 and 57. You can X them out the race. In the fourth and fifth place spot are two more bottom dwellers, the Royals and the Tigers. The Royals are 40 and 67. The Tigers are 30 and 71. Trash. Uh, moving on to the AL West, we have the Astros here, who are still on top they maintain that pole position throughout the entire season it's just the way that they play they are 68 and 39 they are 8 and 2 in their last 10 here come the A's they have maintained that second place spot for a majority of the season uh, but again they are trying to catch up with a really good team here but they are currently 
60 and 47. They've gone five and five in their last 10. That puts them eight games back currently in the division, but they are the second place team in the wild card. So there you go. Uh, moving on to the third place spot, we have the Angels here at 55 and 52. They are 13 games back. They're pretty much done. They're five and five in the last 10. Rounding out the rear here in the AL West, we have the Rangers at 53 and 53. So they're 500, but well out the playoff race in my opinion. And here comes the here comes the eliminated one, the Mariners, 46 and 63. Boo, go home. Try again next year. Try to get a time machine that can go back to 2001 and you can get Ichiro back. Maybe I don't know. But you're done. Uh, we're going to go to the NL. Starting in NL, NL East, we have the Braves here. Uh, they are 62 and 44, 4 and 6 in the last 10. But this race is getting closer. It's inching closer. We have the Nationals here in the second place spot. Five and a half games back. They have resurrected from the dead. They are 56 and 49. They are 5 and 5 in the last 10. What's happening, DC? Did y'all did y'all just decide to like baseball again? Did y'all just decide to be good again? Y'all said, to hell with Bryce Harper. We don't need him. I told y'all that going into the season. Now y'all want to believe me. Okay. Well, the Phillies are in third place spot, 55 and 50. They're six and a half games back, six and four in the last 10. Bryce Harper is underachieving. Yeah, we knew that already. Just saying. Uh, the Mets and the Marlins are bringing up the rear. The Mets are 50 and 55. Yep, but they wanted Marcus Stroman. Good job. Congratulations. And in the fifth place spot, we have the Marlins. They are 40 and 63. Dumpster fire. Dumpster inferno. Dumpster just everything. It's like a, it's like a forest fire of multiple dumpsters. That's what it is. That's what the Florida, that's what the Miami slash Florida Marlins are. They are a forest fire of dumpsters. It's like a, it's like a massive biofuel burn off. That's what the Florida Miami Marlins are. And I'm going to keep calling them that. I'm just going to slash them. Florida Miami Marlins because they trash. Okay, moving on to the Central Division. Like I said, this is pretty much the most competitive division right now in all of baseball. We have the Cardinals here that have made it to the top. How the hell did the Cubs and the Brewers allow this to happen? They're currently 56 and 49, 73 in the last 10. But I will tell you this, the Cardinals have the best pitching staff in all of baseball. They've always consistently had that. That is why they're here. And they have some really good contact hitters as well. They've always historically we had that so this is why they're here i'm not mad i'm just looking at these cups and like where is y'all hunger y'all don't even have an identity five and five in the last ten of course they've tied it they they're of course tied again for the first place spot they got that win yesterday yesterday against the brewers but do they truly deserve it do they truly deserve it who knows we will see come the last day of the season i bet you Nah, I'm not going to talk down to Cubs like that. I have a friend, really cool person, that's a Cubs fan. So, I'm not going to talk down about the Cubs. But again, y'all got to get hungry and quick. Because the Cardinals, I think they like they, they just lock into playoff spots like this. They just lock into first place. And uh, you don't want to see them in the playoffs. You don't. You don't. But anyways, in the third place spot, you have the Brewers, who are technically a game back from everybody in the first and second place spot. 56 and 51, 6 and 4 in the last 10. What can you say? They don't have a really, they don't really have a good bullpen either. Uh, so 
that's what happens. And then bringing up the rear here, you have the Pirates and the Reds. I'm sorry, the Reds and the Pirates. Uh, uh, the the Reds are currently 48 and 55. You can X them out the race. And you also have the Pirates. Uh, you can X them out the race as well. 46 and 59 is their current record. They're done. Don't worry about it. And moving on to the NL West, we have the Dodgers. Uh, they are 69 and 38, and they're making it look rather easy. They've gone 6 and 4 in their last 10, but again, what can you really say? Uh, they're just gonna have to win the World Series, really. That's this is this is just practice for the postseason, and they better not lose again. I will. Ro I'm roasting if you lose. I'm roasting. I'm gonna. I'm serious. This will. I will. I'm literally going to have a segment where I'm roasting you. So don't don't lose, Dodgers. I'm going to do it. Uh, we have the the Giants here at 54 and 52. What the hell is going on with these guys? These guys just said, what, what? We just want to compete now. We were going to sell at the deadline. Now we're buying into this, this notion that we somehow can get into the playoffs. Look, dude, I hate to break it to you, Giants fans, but I don't see it happening, okay? Let's be real here. It's going to be the Nationals and probably the runner-up in the NL Central. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's who's going for the wild card. You're not you're, you're not catching the Dodgers, of course. And I'm... I, no, sorry. I just I just don't see where you, you beat out the Cubs or the Brewers for a spot or the Nationals or the Phillies. Just don't see it but you have gone seven and three in your last 10 i will give you that 14 and a half games back that's a no-go but maybe a wild card i know you're hoping for it but I, mm, I don't know guys i don't like what i see y'all don't play sustainable baseball y'all don't want to hear that y'all want to live in 2010 and 2020 it's it's even year on year whatever year y'all won the world series that's what y'all want to cling to right now just like era with the Warriors that aspect of the Warriors that era of the Warriors it's over okay they're gonna come back anew differently some other time they're gonna be reincarnated for now somebody else is gonna be good in basketball but right now the Giants are not good in baseball let it go okay rounding up the third the fourth and the fifth place spots because these guys are pretty much going to be done uh the diamondbacks are third 53 and 53 15 and a half games back four and six in the last 10 no hope the padres here are 49 and 56 and again we have the rockies here who have just completely said fuck baseball we're gonna wait for football season philip Lindsay, where are you buddy 49 and uh, 49 and 57 again they're uh yeah i don't know i don't know what their their thing is uh they're done just wanted to let y'all know. And we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to go through some college football. Actually, do I want to go through my review first? Or do I want to go through college football first? It really don't matter. I'm going to say the review to the end. It's a little a bit of a personal piece. So, for now, we're going to be going over some college football. My college football update as well. We got some conference updates to go over. I'll be going over some uh, Pac-12 and some Big 12 uh, stuff going on. And we got some all-conference players to go over. So, let's just let's just go through some college football first. And I'll save my upon for the review segment for the end. So, I'll be right back, y'all. All right.
right, y'all, I am back. And like I said, I'm going to be going over my college football preview part two for this upcoming season. Uh, today, I'll be breaking down some more of the top 25. I'll be going over 11 through 18 today. I'll also be going over some more top 25 recruiting teams as well. And then on top of that, we'll be going over some conference news and conference notes. Uh, we're going over some all, some of the all-conference teams. Uh, also, uh, just, some, uh, just some overall news uh, to get you guys going into next football season, next college football season, that is. But let's get right into it with some more of this top 25. Like I said, 11 through 18 today. So let's get it in with number 11. And we got the Texas Longhorns here. Now, their quarterback, Sam Ellinger, will be their, their leading man going into this season. He set a Big 12 record last season for touchdown passes without, uh, actually for passes without an INT at 308. And he also had 16 rushing touchdowns last year. So, uh, he's looking to do it with his arm and his leg uh, uh, this year. So, hopefully, his arm is uh, improved. But they will also be bringing back a key piece, of, key piece of that. Their Rob receiver, Colin Johnson, who last season had 68 catches for 985 yards and also 7 touchdowns. Uh, they lost a, one of their top running backs and also Rob receivers. And also three offensive linemen who are all-conference. They also lost eight starters on defense. So that's the biggest thing, uh, Honey, Texas, right now. They got to be able to get some production in the running game. But then again, you have Sam Ellinger there. You do have capable running backs there. Uh, they did lose three wide receivers, though. And that's going to be the thing right there. I, I'm, I'm really looking to see, can Sam Ellinger make that next step as a passer? Of course, we know he's going to be able to run the ball. But you got to make plays going down the field in the Big Ten and making those pass plays work and converting those into touchdowns uh, but I'm ready to say that that winner uh, between them and Oklahoma go the winner of that game between them and Oklahoma is pretty much gonna be going to well, pretty much gonna be getting a playoff spot I feel like the winner of the Big Ten and possibly Oregon may be getting a playoff spot but again it's wide open Georgia has a has a shot at getting a playoff spot as well. But moving to the 12th place team, we have Utah. Utah will be bringing back seniors Tyler Huntley and also Zach Moss. They're uh, they're running back, and they both missed time last year due to injury. Uh, uh, they're bringing in also new starters on the offensive line and also a new offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig. And they do have a favorable schedule this year. They won't be playing Oregon or Stanford, so they just have to worry about, uh, I believe, uh, Cal and also Oregon State. So they have a pretty easy schedule, a manageable schedule, a schedule that should get them to a Pac-12 Pac South title in a berth in the Pac-12 title game, uh, the conference title game, that is. Uh, moving on to number 13, we have Texas A&M. Texas A&M will be bringing back their starting quarterback, Kellen Mond, who's a junior. Last season, he completed 57.3% of his passes for 3,107 yards and also 24 touchdowns and nine interceptions. So, uh, and he also, but they also need to replace their leading rusher and receiver. And also they got pieces in the secondary that they got to improve. So, um, I definitely think Kellen Mond does improve. I do think that they have 
the pieces around there. I don't know about the running game, but I'm pretty sure they have some solid receivers. The secondary is so-so. And again, they do play in the SEC West, which means they got to go through Auburn. They got to go through LSU. They do have to play Alabama as well. So again, I think they take a step back this year. Uh, I just think the SEC is a little bit better this year in terms of Alabama and also LSU. Moving on to the 14th, 14th place spot, we have the Iowa Hawkeyes. The Hawkeyes are bringing back starting quarterback Nate Stanley, who had who completed 59% of his passes last year for 2,852 yards, also 26 touchdowns and, uh, and 10 interceptions. Uh, they, they did lose both for their starting tight ends, Noah Fant and also TJ Hawkinson to the NFL draft, and also their safety, Armani uh, Hooker. And they also lost a defensive end, Anthony Nelson. Uh, seven starters in total are gone on defense, so they gotta improve the defense uh, offensively. They gotta make some changes as well. And uh, two, uh, they got two big time games this season. They gotta go to Michigan and they gotta play Penn State. Uh, Penn State is a very interesting game, especially when I will host that game. I've seen plenty of time where Penn State has been the higher ranked team, has gotten a whole lot of love coming into that game, and they just fall flat in Iowa. That might happen this year. Iowa does have a stifling defense when it when it's when it's at its best. Uh, they do get they don't give up a whole lot of points in major games like that, but we shall see. Uh, the Michigan game, I like Michigan in that game because I just see Michigan uh, pulling away. Way, maybe even challenging and beating uh, Ohio State this year and winning that Big Ten for the first time in a while. So that's a that's a game that I gotta give Michigan. But Iowa shouldn't have that bad of a season. I can see them getting eight wins uh, at the most, uh, seven wins to six wins at the worst, and still qualifying for a ball game nonetheless. Uh, moving on to the uh, the 15th place spot, we have the Auburn Tigers here. They're bringing back their starting defensive tackle Derek Brown, who's a projected first rounder next year, along with sophomore running back Jartavius Whitlaw. Uh, they need to uh, break in two freshman quarterbacks in Bo Nix and also Joey Gatewood. So that's that's going to be their thing. They also got to open up the season against Oregon. So with two freshman quarterbacks, they're going to be having a neutral site game against a top team like Oregon. Mm, I, I, I like Oregon's chances. I really do like Oregon's chances to set themselves up with a good win. Uh, Auburn has a particularly good chance as well though but again they're bringing in two freshman quarterback they are bringing back their sophomore running back though and they have something stout on the, on the defensive line so don't uh, sleep on the Auburn Tigers uh, moving on to the 16th place spot we have the Wisconsin Badgers the Badgers were 8 and 5 last season but 4 and 5 in the Big Ten so they're looking to definitely make some improvements there uh, they're bringing back their junior running back Jonathan Taylor who's definitely a Heisman candidate if he can stay healthy and they're going to have to start a freshman this year Graham Martz at quarterback so look out for that as well uh, as far as how they finish I see them going eight and five again. I don't really just with the just with the uh, improvement of Michigan, and I don't think Ohio State is going to take a step back. Their only loss may come to Michigan, and same thing with Michigan. Their only loss could go could come to Ohio State. I don't see Wisconsin being that team this year. Uh, maybe nine and four, maybe nine and four this year, and definitely a pretty solid ball game. Moving on to the number seventeen spot, we got Washington here. Washington has 
has won 32 games in the past three seasons, and they've won the Pac-12 title two times. Uh, but this year, they are missing their uh, leading running back, one of their leading all-time leading rushers, Miles Gaskins, and they also are missing their quarterback, Jake Browning. They're also going to be replacing their offensive line, one of their top offensive linemen, Caleb McGarry, also their uh, defensive backs, Taylor, uh, Taylor Rapp, and also Brian Murph, Byron Murphy, and also on the defensive end, they got to replace Greg Gaines. So they got to replace a lot of key pieces here. They're going to take a step back in my opinion, but I think they have a good enough coach to keep them a challenger uh, in the Pac-12 North. And uh, if Oregon is not on top of their game, I think they can beat Oregon again and again solidify again their Pac-12 North standing. Again, push them to a Pac-12, another Pac-12 title game. I, again, I don't know if they win that game. Uh, Oregon is on the comeback though. I'm definitely going to tell Washington Huskies fans to beware. Uh, again, if it's not this year that they don't break through, I think it's the, the very next year because you cannot have the seven best, one of the a top five recruiting class and not break through on some type of national level. It, it happens all the time. Auburn, I'm sorry, Auburn, I'm sorry, not necessarily Auburn, but Alabama, Clemson, those two teams have been doing it consistently and you see the success that they've been having. When you have good recruiting classes for multiple years, there's no way they can hold you down. Oregon has, a hidden, has, has had two back-to-back home run recruiting classes. It's about to be our time. Washington Huskies fans, Chris Peterson is a great coach and he's going to be one of the reasons why you're challenging uh, in the Pac-12. But again, beware of the Ducks. They're going to have a good season this year. Uh, moving on to the 18th place spot, uh, we have the UCF go, uh, UCF Knights uh, out of out of Orlando, Florida, aka Central Florida. Uh, uh, they took a loss last uh, last season in the Fiesta Ball. A 40-32 against LSU. Again, that was a year that they really played well. Uh, again, they could have had another. They could have had two back-to-back really uh, important ball wins. But again, uh, LSU was was able to do just enough to get back. Uh, but they're bringing back their southern running back, Greg McRae, and also Adrian Killings Jr. They will be having a quarterback, though, with three uh, distinct guys here. We're going to be having McKenzie Milton, who was a starter last year, but injured his leg right before the ball game you have Brandon Winbush who is a Notre Dame transfer and you have Dario Mack who was able to perform pretty well in that ball game that they eventually lost against LSU so you have a three you have a three horse race here and again you don't uh, at this point in time you don't really know um, who's even in the driver's spot I don't know who's in the lead I have no idea about this quarterback uh, this quarterback battle here uh, if anything I do like Brandon Winbush's uh, success and his experience at Notre Dame uh, however McKenzie Milton has had experience with this actual offense and we actually see Daryl Mack who has the potential so uh, again there's three solid guys here and I think either one of these guys can can uh, keep UCF in a good position. I think maybe even Brandon Winbush, just because of his Notre Dame pedigree, and because he's probably he probably came into this situation a more higher-rated quarterback. So maybe with a, 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 a somewhat of a broader skill set than the other two, I definitely think he might get the edge this year. Uh, but I think I definitely think Daryl Mack, if they're able to keep him on, he's their quarterback of the future. And uh, they have two key games. 
that they have to worry about. They will be playing at home against Stanford in week three. That will be a good a good chance to see where they stand. And uh, in week four, um, oh, I don't know who this team is here. But more importantly, week three, they're going to have to be playing Stanford. Uh, oh, sorry. In week four, they have to play Pitt. Yes, uh, Pitt is Pitt will be another good game too because again, if they don't get Stanford, uh, Pitt is another solid opponent. Uh, they have to play them uh, on the road, if I'm not mistaken. So Pitt and Stanford are the two more important games. They're going to be people uh, not within their conference. They're going to be not in the American Conference. Good, two good non-conference games back to back. One at home, one on the road. Good chance to see, regardless of who the starting quarterback is, where this team is standing. All right, let's move on. We're going to get into the recruiting. Uh, like I said, we're going to talk about a few more teams here today in the top 25 in terms of recruiting. But we're going to start off with number 20, and that is USC. For USC, they added defensive lineman Drake Jackson, who can play on the interior or the edge. They also brought in two tight ends, Ethan Rowe and Jude Wolf, And they also brought in a number six wide receiver in the nation, Kyle Ford, who's currently recovering from a knee injury, but he should be ready by the start of the season, and he should be getting some uh, some adequate playing time as well. And Keenan Christian is a speed back with 10-4 speed in the 100 meters, and he's also a four-star recruit. So again, UCLA, I mean, USC is hitting again. Um, I don't think uh, that they're going to challenge this year in the Pac-12 uh, necessarily, but again, this is a good start, and they should be back in back on the right track uh, by next season. Uh, moving on to the number 17 team here, in terms of recruiting, we have South Carolina. They were able to sign quarterback Ryan Helensky from California, four-star recruit in the number, uh, the number 64 recruit in the nation, and also the number 12 recruit in California. They also had a five-star defensive tackle, Zach, uh, I'm sorry, Zach Pickens. Uh, he's the eighth uh, prospect in the nation and number, the number one defensive tackle, defensive tackle prospect in the nation and is also the number one prospect in the in the state of South Carolina and they also uh, signed four-star quarter cornerback excuse me four-star cornerback Cameron Smith he's 6'1 168 pounds he's also the number 19 cornerback in the nation defensive back and also they brought in defensive lineman Joseph Anderson and uh, Rodericus Fitton over the spring and also defensive tackle Jacquez Sorrells and safety Jamie Robinson so again uh, South Carolina is hitting pretty well too they're getting a lot of local cats and a lot of the regional guys I think the two of the defensive tackles they came from Florida so definitely uh, recruiting well in their state. They're getting the top prospects in their state, beating out Clemson on a couple occasions there. And they're also doing well in the South, which is a hotbed. We already know about the South being the hotbed for college football talent. Uh, moving on to the number 16 class here, we have Washington. They added quarterback Dylan Morris, a pro-style four-star quarterback. He's also the fourth-rated quarterback and a number uh, the number one recruit in the state of Washington. So he's going to probably re be replacing Jake Browning immediately. Uh, they got offensive. Uh, they got another offensive tackle here, uh, Julius uh, Bulo from Hawaii. He is 6'8", 331 pounds four-star recruit and he's the 27th 
rated offensive tackle in the nation. They also are bringing in Nathaniel Calpo, an offensive tackle out of Washington, 6'6", another four-star offensive lineman recruit. Uh, again, he's the number 29th offensive tackle prospect in the nation, and they have the, he's the second-best recruit in the state of Washington. So they got the number two and the, the number one and the number number one uh, two. I'm sorry, the Washington was able to get the number one and the number uh, number two recruits in their state. So they're really recruiting well on uh, on top of that as well. Uh, they also brought in Fatui uh, Tatui uh, Telly. Excuse me. They brought in Fatui Tui Telly and uh, uh, Jacob Bonds, uh, the ninth and tenth, the ninth and tenth best defensive tackles in the country. And he also brought in four linebackers, including Joss Calvet and also Daniel Herman. So again, uh, Washington is. Uh, well, Washington recruited very well on multiple places. They got a good quarterback. They were able to bring in a lot of depth on that offensive line, particularly at the offensive tackle position. They also brought in defensive tackles to, to show up that interior defensive line and four linebackers. Again, this is going to be, I mean, the Washington is going to definitely be a handful. I'm not saying the Ducks have taken over the Pac-12. They definitely uh, got some work cut out for them with Washington. They also added wide receiver uh, Ruka Nakua, four-star recruit, and the 136-rated prospect in the nation, and a 22nd best wide receiver, wide receiver recruit in Utah. Uh, last year, as a high school senior, he had 2,336 yards, also 26 touchdowns. In uh, number eight position, we have Michigan. Michigan was able to bring in running back Zach Carbonet, a four-star recruit from California. He's also the 46th overall recruit in the nation, uh, and also the fourth running back prospect in the nation. He's also 8th in the state of California as well. They also brought in receiver Giles Jackson, who's a 4-star uh, star recruit and the 41st uh, rated wide receiver in the nation and also the 43rd overall recruit, recruit excuse me, in California. They also brought in uh, safety Daxton Hill, the 14th overall recruit in the nation, the number one safety in the nation, and the number one prospect coming out of Oklahoma. And finally, they brought in defensive tackle Mazzy Smith, who is 11th in the nation at defensive tackle and is also fourth, the fourth best prospect in Michigan, also has a four-star rating as well. So Michigan, again, looking to challenge in that Big Ten. And uh, again, with the recruiting class that they've been bringing in the past couple years, they have an opportunity. Definitely have an opportunity to do that. Uh, so let's get uh, get into these conference previews real quick. We're going to start off in the Pac-12. Last year in 2018, uh, Washington finished on top of the Pac-12 North, and they eventually won the Pac-12 title. They finished that year seven and two in the Pac-12, ten and four overall. Next up, we have Washington State, who finished seven and two overall as well. Uh, seven and two, sorry, in the Pac. 10 and 11 and 2 overall. We have Stanford coming in third place spot in the Pac-12 uh, last year. They finished 6 and 3 in the conference, 9 and 4 overall. Up next, we had Oregon finishing 5 and 4 in the Pac-12, 9 and 4 overall. We had Cal and Oregon State at the bottom. Cal finished 4 and 3 last year in, in Pac-12 play. Actually, sorry, 4 and 5. Oregon State finished 1 and 8 overall. Cal would finish 7 and 6, and Oregon Oregon State would finish 2 and 10. As for the Pac-12 South, uh, Oklahoma, I'm sorry, Utah was able to get it done. They finished the year six and three in conference play and nine and five overall. We got Arizona State coming in the second place spot in the South. They finished five and four in Pac-12 play, seven and six overall. We also had USC 
see here finishing four and five, five and seven overall. We also got Arizona State who finished three and six in the conference, three and nine overall. And finally at the bottom, we had Colorado who finished two and seven in conference play, but five and seven overall. Uh, some key ball victories uh, during uh, the postseason. The Ducks were able to get it done in, in the Red Box ball against Michigan State, seven to six. In the Rose Bowl, uh, the Washington Huskies took a loss to Ohio State, twenty-eight to twenty-three. Uh, some actually not some key ball wins, but some key ball games. Period. And also in the Alamo Bowl, uh, Washington State was able to get it done against Iowa State, twenty-eight to twenty-four. Was final score there and overall the Pac-12 was four and three in their ball games now heading into the year uh, we're gonna go over the all-conference teams here in the first team the first team offense for the Pac-12 we have Justin Herbert the quarterback out of Oregon who's a senior this year he completed almost 60% of his passes last year for 3,151 yards also 29 touchdowns and eight interceptions we got running back Zach Moss 5'10 215 pound senior out of you talk last year he ran for 1,096 yards and also 11 touchdowns he also got receiver Michael Pillman a junior 6'4 225 senior out of USC last year he got 41 catches for 758 yards he also got tight end Hunter Bryant out of Washington last year he had 11 catches for 238 yards and also a touchdown on the offensive line you have Nick Harris uh, Washington uh, junior uh, last year uh, he started all the game every game last year on the offensive line. You also got uh, Panay Sewell, another sophomore, out of Oregon, 6'6", 345 pounds. Moving on to the first team defense, you have defensive lineman uh, Brady, uh, Brady Ane, 6'3", 263-pound senior out of Utah. Last year, he had 47 tackles, 7.5 sacks. He also had a forced fumble as well. You also got another defensive lineman here, Mustafa Johnson, 290-pound junior out of Colorado, 52 tackles last year. 15, actually 15 and a half a loss, seven and a half sacks, and also a fumble recovery for him. And in the linebacker position, you have Evan Weaver, 6'3", 245, 45-pound senior out of California, 127 tackles last year, total tackles last year, 12 tackles for loss. He also had six sacks, two touchdowns, and he scored a touchdown on the defensive end as well. And uh, coming in the, in the uh, cornerback or, def- or the defensive back position, yeah. Paulson Adeb. He had a 6'1. 189 189-pound uh, sophomore out of Stanford, 64 total tackles last year. He also had four interceptions and a forced fumble. And finally, at the safety position, we have Jalen Thompson, a senior at Washington State. And uh, moving on, uh, we have the second-team offense. The second-team offense consists of quarterback K.J. Costello, a junior out of Stanford. He completed 63% of his passes last year, 3,540 yards, 29 touchdowns and also 11 interceptions you got uh wide receiver theo howard uh yeah he's a senior coming uh coming out of ucla uh last year he had 51 catches for 677 yards and also four touchdowns and you also got brandon reese here a junior from arizona state 
who uh, converted on 82% of his field goals. Uh, he made 100% of his extra points. He had a long, uh, his longest field goal was 49 yards and was responsible for 99 points for the Arizona State Sun Devils last year. Uh, moving on, some members of that second team, uh, all Pac-12 defensive team. You got defensive lineman Luke Baquette, 6'2", 295-pound senior out of Cal, 76 total tackles last year, 8.5 total sacks. He also had two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery as well. You also got linebacker Merlin Robertson here, 6'3", 235-pound sophomore from Arizona State, 77 total tackles. He also had an interception and a forced fumble. He also had a forced recover, for, uh, fumble recovery as well. And finally, you got Julian Blackman here, uh, a 6'1", 190-pound senior from Utah. Last year, he finished uh, <clears throat> with 98 tackles and an interception. Some returning, uh, some returning statistical leaders for the Pac-12 we got coming in this year. In terms of passing, you got KJ Costello. Again, he had 65, he completed 65% of his passes for 3,540 yards, 29 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. You also got TJ Daniels here out of USC, who completed 49% of his, uh, 59% of his passes, excuse me, for 14 touchdowns, also 10 interceptions. In over 2,000 yards, and of course, you got Justin Herbert here. In terms of rushing, you're bringing back, um, you got Arizona running back Eno Benjamin, who ran for 1,642 yards last year, as well as 16 touchdowns. You also got a uh, sorry, JJ Taylor out of Arizona, the Wildcat, ran for 1,434 yards last season, as well as six touchdowns. And finally, you got Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State, who ran for 1,300 yards, as well as 12 touchdowns. In terms of receiving, you're bringing back LaVisca Sinault Jr. from Colorado, 86 uh, recoveries last year, 1,011 yards and six touchdowns. You also got Isaiah Hudgens, uh, actually Isaiah Hodgins out of Oregon State, excuse me, 876 yards as well as five touchdowns. And finally, you got Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, 41 catches, 758 yards and six touchdowns. On the defensive end, you're bringing back linebacker uh, Evan Weaver out of Cal, uh, who had 158 total tackles. You also got uh, Colin Schroeder out of Arizona, 100 19 total uh, 119 total tackles as for sacks you're bringing back the defensive lineman uh, out of Utah Bradley Anae who had uh, eight total sacks last year also Mustafa Johnson had seven and a, and a half uh, sacks last year and finally in the interception department you got safety Jalen Hawkins out of Cal who has six and also Jevin Holland Javon Holland out of Oregon who had uh, excuse me who had five now in terms of the top recruiting, recruiting schools in the conference you got Oregon at number one at number two you got Washington at number three we have USC in the fourth place spot we have have Stanford in the fifth place spot we have Arizona State in the sixth place spot we have UCLA at seven we have Cal and up next we have Utah I'm sorry at at eight we have Colorado at nine we have Utah and rounding out the, out the rear at 10 11 and 12 we have Arizona State Washington State and then finally we have Oregon State now um, in terms of who I have as my favorites to win it's a little early for me, uh, but I'm definitely going to go with Oregon. I also think Washington has a solid chance of winning the conference as well. Uh, I definitely think they have the best teams uh, on paper. They pretty much have the best recruiting classes in the conference. So I, And I also think they have the best 
coaching staff, uh, the best coaching staffs in the conference as well. So I definitely look for the for the winner of that of the of the conference to come out of that game here, Oregon and Washington. Definitely looking forward to that matchup here. One of those two is one of those two guys are definitely going to get you the conference title. Uh, in terms of my dark horse, you got Washington State, USC, and Stanford. Washington State, uh, they have a really great offense, uh, especially passing the ball down the field. The air raid offense being instituted by Mike Leach out there is amazing, and there's a new wrinkle in it every year. They finally, they finally been able to run the ball, and they're also playing good actually good defense on top of that their defense is steadily improving in terms of ranking so again this is a dangerous team to look out for not only in the Pac-12 but on the national level as well they can actually challenge for a for a very uh, important or prestigious ball game or even a top four playoff spot just depending on how the season plays out for them you also got USC who again is always usually in the mix because there's always talent out there you never know so I'm gonna always give them somewhat of a dark Horse spot, especially coming out of the Pac-12 South, which Pac-12 South, which is an easier division to win, which is at the wait and see. And then finally, you have Stanford here. Stanford uh, definitely is a dark horse candidate. It's a team that can beat Washington or Oregon at any point in time in the season. Uh, definitely, I don't think it could beat both of those teams this year. But if it does, if it just so happens to do it. It could they could definitely win the Pac-12. And moving on to my sleeper team, you have Utah. They're bringing back a, a really good set of seniors, including their running back uh, Zach Moss and their defensive lineman Bradley Anay, who I can't keep who I can't stop bringing up at the moment. But again, they are looking to challenge in the Pac-12 South. Again, the Pac-12 South is the easier division to win. I think they could shock a few teams this year. Uh, if not, win the Pac-12 South. Uh, if not do that, why not have 10 wins or even nine wins, something like that? Uh, catch one of these, one of these top teams at home. Uh, why not? Uh, but I'm gonna. Uh, we have some key games to go over real quick here. Uh, as far as early in the season goes, you have August 29th. You have Utah starting off their season against BYU. That is a rivalry game. A good chance to see where both of these teams are gonna be look. Uh, how both of these teams are gonna be looking going into the season, especially for Utah. Again, they're gonna be bringing back some some good seniors. They're gonna be looking to get things started off hot against a rival. Uh, moving on to August 31st. I've talked about this game a couple times, but. Oregon versus Auburn is a very important matchup for both of these teams. The, both of these teams have outside chances to, to really challenge for a playoff spot. This win for either of these teams will put them in the driver's spot to do that. This will put, I think this would work. Uh, this will be some good juju for either team. A good start, a, it usually indicates a good finish. Sometimes, not always, but a good start here will be good for either Oregon or Auburn. I really would even say Oregon. Oregon would really benefit from a game. A neutral site win against a very formidable SEC opponent will go a long way to putting the Oregon Ducks over in the national sense. You also got on September the 7th, Stanford taking on USC. That is a key Pac-12 game uh, between two up-and-coming or even Pac-12 dark horses on September the 4th. 14th, you got Oklahoma at UCLA. This is a key non-conference game. I will say more so for UCLA. I think Oklahoma 
Kuzma is definitely the favorite coming into this one, but it's, it will be good to see just how well UCLA has improved. Uh, let's see if Chip, year, year two under Chip Kelly is boding something positive. Uh, at October the 19th, this is the big one. This is a really big one. Coming out of the Pac-12 North, you got Oregon headed out to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies. This, in my opinion, will determine the Pac-12 period. This is the rivalry. This is a rivalry game, and these two teams will be uh, pretty much in the top spots of the Pac-12, and now just the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 North. This will, this will, the winner of this game, like I said, will pretty much win the Pac-12 title. On November the 2nd, you have another semi-important game, in my opinion. Utah will be facing off against Washington. This is a good chance for Utah to get put on notice and to maybe steal a win here and possibly push themselves into another Pac-12 title game. Believe me, we've been missing them. We like to see that. We like to see them succeed. And finally, we have on November the 29th, Washington and Washington. Washington will be going to Seattle to face. Uh, Washington State, excuse me, will be headed out to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies for the Apple Cup. Another rivalry game here, and again. This might be another uh, determining factor in the Pac-12 North Division. So again, another way to determine who's gonna, you know, who could possibly uh, make it to the Pac-12 title game, depending on just uh, it's depending on whether or not Washington had beaten Oregon, and if Washington State is still competing at that point in time, which I don't see why not, and there's a good chance Washington could win. So, again, that is a good matchup. November the 9th, uh, Washington State, Washington, the Apple Cup. Look out for that one as well. All right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break, and when I come back, I will be previewing the Big 12 for you guys. So we're just going to get right into it when I get back. All right, now. All right, y'all. Let's get back to it, and uh, we're gonna be big. We're gonna be previewing, excuse me, the Big 12. And last year in 2018, uh, everything finished off in the Big 12 with Oklahoma on top. They finished eight and one in conference play with just one loss coming to Texas, and they also finished 12 and two overall with another loss coming in the Orange Bowl, which we will talk in just a little. Talk about in just a little bit. Uh, Texas came in the second place spot in this conference. Seven and two is their conference record, and ten and four is their over was their overall record last season uh we also had west virginia coming in in third place six and three is what their conference record was they finished the year eight and four iowa state would finish six and three in conference play and also eight and five overall they also uh, i'm sorry uh, tcu would finish four and five in conference play they would go on to finish seven and six overall baylor would finish four and five in the conference, seven and six overall as well. Uh, up next, we had Texas Tech, who took a took some strides back and finished three and six in conference play and five and seven overall. And rounding out the rear, we had Kansas State and Oklahoma State, who both finished three and six in conference play. Uh, Kansas State would finish five and seven overall, with Oklahoma State finishing seven and six overall. And at the bottom, we had Kansas, who finished one and eight overall, getting their first. 
first conference win just this year, uh, but they were only able to win three wins, and uh, they had nine losses overall. Uh, some key ball games uh, for the Pac, I'm sorry, not the Pac-12, but the Big 12 last season was the Orange Ball, the college football playoff game versus o sorry, Oklahoma and also Alabama. Alabama was able to win that game 45-34, but of course, Oklahoma uh, looked pretty competitive in that game. Of course, Kyler Murray was able to become an NFL pro based on that game. But again, Alabama was able to get that win. Uh, of course, we knew that Oklahoma had no defense. This is one of their drawbacks going into this year as well. Uh, but the Big 12 was able to get a win against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl with Texas getting that win 28-21. to You also got, uh, sorry, Oklahoma State. Uh, getting done against Missouri in the Liberty Ball. 38-33 was the final score there. And the Big 12 finished 4-3 overall in their ball games last year. Uh, moving on to the all-conference team, starting off with the first team offense, we have quarterback Sam Ellinger, who finished last year uh, with 60, completing 64% of his passes, 3,000, not for not 3,292 yards, also 25 touchdowns, and also just five interceptions. The 6'3", 225 junior, 235 pound junior will be returning for his junior year with the Longhorns. At the running back position, we have Kennedy Brooks, the 5'11", 205 pound sophomore out of Oklahoma, rushed for 1,056 yards last year, as well as 12 touchdowns. We also got wide receiver Jalen Ragar here, a junior out of TCU, who caught 72 passes last year for 1,061 yards, as well as nine touchdowns. At the tight end spot, we have Grant Calcaterra, 6'4", uh, junior out of Oklahoma, who caught 26 catches last year for 396 yards, as well as six touchdowns. On the offensive line, you have Colton McKivitt, who was six? Who was a six-seven, three hundred twelve-pound senior from West Virginia? Uh, he started all games last year for the Mountaineers. We're gonna move on to the first-team defense. We're gonna name some guys off here. We got Jaquan Bailey, a senior out of uh, Iowa State. Excuse me, forty-six total tackles last season. 14 and a half of those were for a loss, and he also had eight tackle, as uh, eight sacks, excuse me, and one forced fumble. He also got, uh, oh, he also got one fumble recovery as well. At the linebacker position, you have Kenneth Murray, the 6'2", 238-pound junior. He's coming out of Oklahoma. He had 155 tackles last year. He also had 12 and a half tackles for loss, as well as four and a half sacks, and he also had a forced fumble as well. Cornerback uh, Jeff Gladney will be representing uh, the secondary. He had six, he's a six foot, 183 pound senior out of TCU, and he had 41 tackles last year with two interceptions and also a forced fumble. And finally, you got great uh, safety Greg Eisworth, six foot safety, uh, six foot junior at Iowa State, 87 total tackles. He also had an interception and two forced fumbles last season. Uh, the second team offense consists of quarterback Jalen Hurts, a transfer from Alabama. Uh, the 6'2", 219-pound senior completed 72 passes last year and 
and 760 for 765 yards, also eight touchdowns and two interceptions in the backup role for the Alabama Alabama Crimson Tide. You also got uh, wide receiver TJ Vachera, 6'6", 190-pound wide receiver. Uh, he's a junior coming out of Texas Tech, 54 catches last year, 687 yards and also seven touchdowns. And finally, you got punter Ryan Bujasecki. Uh, he was a 5'11", junior coming out of TCU. And we also got the second team defense here, defensive lineman Trey Deshaun, 6'2", senior, coming out of Kansas State, 65 total tackles. He also had 20 for loss. We also got linebacker Calvin Bundage, 6'4", 215-pound senior, coming out of Oklahoma State, who had 62 tackles last year, eight tackles for loss. He also had one and a half sacks. We also got safety Kenny Robinson, Jr., 6'2", coming out of West Virginia. The junior last year had 77 tackles as well as four interceptions and a forced fumble as well as a fumble recovery. Some other top uh, returning leaders in terms of passing, we got Charlie Brewer coming out of Baylor. He completed 61% of his passes last year for 3,019 uh, 3, yards, 19 touchdowns, and also nine interceptions. We also got Brock Purdy coming out of Iowa State, completing 66.4% of his passes last year in 2,225 yards as well as 16 touchdowns as well as seven INTs. In terms of rushing, you're bringing back uh, Puka Williams Jr. from Kansas. He had uh, he had 1,125 yards as well as seven touchdowns last year. You also got Trey Sermon out of Oklahoma. Uh, he had 947 yards on third. Uh, he had 13 touchdowns as well. In terms of receiving, you got Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. Uh, last year he had 86 catches of, and 1,149 yards. 100, uh, sorry, he had 1,491 yards and also 12 touchdowns. You also got C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma, 65 catches last year for 1,158 yards as well as 11 touchdowns. And on defense, uh, some top performers coming back are uh, Kenneth Murray, a linebacker out of Oklahoma who had 155 tackles last year. You also got Clay Johnson, another linebacker out of Baylor. In terms of sacks, you're bringing back Jaquan Bailey and also uh, Reggie Walker out of Kansas State who had seven and, seven and a half sacks last year. And also you, in terms of interceptions, you got Adam Fry coming out of uh, Texas Tech with five interceptions last year. In terms of recruiting, the top 10 teams here in the Big 12 don't ask me why it's the Big 12 and it's just 10 teams. I'll get to that at a different time. Uh, you got Texas coming in at number one. You have Oklahoma coming in at number two. At number three, we have TCU. At four, we have Baylor. At five, we have Oklahoma State. Coming in six in terms of recruiting is Iowa State. At seven, we have West Virginia. And rounding out the top ten in terms of recruiting in the Big Ten, we have Kansas State, Kansas. And also at the bottom, we have at the number ten spot, we have Texas Tech. Now, for my predictions right now, my favorites, of course, are Texas. Texas and Oklahoma. The winner of that game early, I believe it's October or late September, whenever that game is, that will be the winner of your conference here. In terms of a dark horse, I'm looking for TCU or Iowa, both teams who can shock not only uh, T, uh, not only Texas or Oklahoma, but can beat the Oklahoma States every now and can beat Oklahoma, the Oklahoma States and also the Baylors and also the Kansas State, uh, also the Kansas State. So uh, look for TCU and Iowa State to possibly make a dark horse run. And for a sleeper, I'm going to have Baylor here. They are bringing back their top passer. Uh, they are also bringing back a few key pieces on defense and offense as well. I like West Virginia's chances as a sleeper team as well. They're kind of in the cut. Uh, some key games here 
is going to be starting off in September. On September the 7th, you have LSU taking off against Texas. This is a key non-conference game for both teams. This will be a good test to see which of these two teams might deserve a playoff spot as well. Uh, we have September the 14th with Iowa taking out Iowa State. Again, Iowa, it, Iowa State is a team that likes to get upset. They relish for the upset victories. They could possibly get one here against a big team, a quality Big Ten opponent in Iowa and set their season up in a good position. Coming in October, we have Oklahoma, October the 12th. There we go. Oklahoma versus Texas. Uh, this is going to be an interesting game. Always a neutral site game. And this, in my opinion, will be determining the winner. Oklahoma and Texas, October the 12th. That's the big. That's the biggest game in the Big 12. And finally, November the 9th, we have Iowa State taking on Oklahoma. Oklahoma State. I'm sorry, uh, not Oklahoma State, but Iowa State is a. It's just a upset. It's just a team you can't sleep on. They're, they're known for getting upsets. Uh, also, finally, they have another game here against Texas on uh, November the 16th, that being Iowa State. Texas will have to travel to Iowa State. And it's hard for many Big 12 teams, at least the, the top teams in the Big 12, to win in Iowa State. I don't know why. Don't ask me. It's when they get to Ames, Iowa, everything falls apart. Don't ask me why. Iowa State just gets upsets like that. So look out for that one as well. All right, y'all, I'm going to call for another quick break. And when I come back, I will be back for my upon further review segment. Of course, I will be talking about my A's and we'll be going back in time to the money ball era. All right, y'all, I will be right back. All right, y'all, I am back. So it's time for me to take it back. Back in the time, back to about 2002, 2003, to the Moneyball days in Oakland, California. We're going to find out, y'all going to find out today why the Oakland A's are my favorite baseball team. Let's get right into it. This is my upon further review segment, the Oakland A's Moneyball era. And if we want to go back to the origins of this place, this period in time, can't go back just to 2002. Can't go back just to 2018 with the playoff appearances and the two back-to-back titles, divisional titles, that is, in 2012 and 2013. We can't go back to 26, 2006. We got to go all the way back to 1997. In 1997, the A's would finish 65 and 97, and they would hire new general manager Billy Bean. Billy Bean was a former uh, major league and minor league, minor league player who was drafted by the Mets and would play for three other teams, including the Oakland A's, in 1989. Some more information uh, about Billy Bean. Like I said, he was a first-round draft pick in 1980. He spent the majority of his career between the minors and the majors. In 1980, uh, 1989, like I said, he would join the Oakland Athletics, but in 1990, while uh, while with the A's, he decided to become an advanced scout in lieu of playing in the minors. In 1993, he would be promoted to the assistant GM and was responsible for minor league scouting, which was really great because, again, he was just a minor league player. He knew a lot of these players probably firsthand, so that gave him a lot of firsthand knowledge. So, again, uh, when he's, you know, him coming, you know, coming with a new line of thinking and a new line of scouting and approaching this it makes a lot of sense because again 
he was right, uh, you know, right amongst these players, playing alongside them, watching them. So it made him. I mean, I can imagine it making him a really, uh, a really good scout at the time. And just a little background and some more info about the Oakland franchise in general. Now, before the death of a, of one of their former owners, Walter Haas Jr., the A's would uh, go to stri- three straight World Series uh, World Series uh, between. Uh, 1988 and 1990. They also had one of the highest payrolls in baseball in 1999. This is 1991, and this is when they had the Bash Brothers, the infamous Bash Brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. Now, Haas will pass away in 1995, and a new owner, Stephen Scott, and also Ken Hoffman, uh, put GM Sandy Alderson in charge of basically cost cutting and making this team uh, basically profitable in the sense of they're not spending so much on uh you know players and contracts so on and so forth now alderson took over uh, took advantage of saber metrics which is basically just advanced stats uh morally more notably the on base percentage now this is a percentage basically just how it sounds this is the percentage of time a hitter or a batter can get on base whether it be through hit whether it be through him walking whether it be through hit by pitch however you know errors in the outfield however wherever whatever on-base percentage. This was the most important stat that Sandy, Sandy Alderson would make his player personnel decisions based on. Not only him, but also Billy Bean as well. On-base percentage. Pay attention to that in this story here. The A's under Alderson and eventually Billy Bean will become one of the most cost-effective teams in baseball, and I will get into that a little bit later. Uh, now, in 1997, the A's would lose both Conseco and McGuire uh, via trade at I'm not mis- I know via, uh, via trade for McGuire, he went off to the Cardinals, but I'm not too sure about Kinsenko, but they did lose him as well. Uh, but stars like Miguel Tejada and Jason Giambi and even Ben Grieve will pick up the slack, and they would also pick up Tim Hudson in the 1997 t- uh draft. So remember those names here as well. Miguel Tejada, Jason Giambi, Ben Grieve. For my A's fans, they know who I'm talking about. But if you're not an A's fan, you're going to learn about them sure enough. In Billy Bean's first full season with the A's, with the A's, they would finish 74 and 88, and they missed the playoffs. Uh, but they got really good performances from, from Jason Giambi, who led the team in home runs with 27, and also RBIs with 110, and also in batting average at 295. Matt Stairs also came alive. This is when he, this was probably one of the best pit stops of his career. And if you don't know about Matt Stairs, he's a career journeyman who's probably played on more teams uh, in his career than I, I think anybody. I think. It's a, 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 a league record, a baseball record of about the, the amount of different teams he played for, but he had some of his best numbers in Oakland. This is one of the guys that I vaguely remember from my childhood, but he was a really good player. From what I do remember hearing about him, was always good, always in a good positive light. Uh, but he would average a two, he would have a 258 batting average in 1997. He also had 38 home runs. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, he would have a 258 batting average, not 38 home runs, but I'm sorry, but he had 102 RBIs at right field and designated hitter. And also, they had a good season from their pitcher, Kenny Rogers. Uh, oh, actually, no, Matt Stairs did lead the team, actually, in home runs with 38. And uh, Jason John became, uh, came in second with home runs at 27. Uh, but their pitcher, Kenny Rogers, had a good season as well, who won 16 games and had an ERA of 3.17. And this is, these are the two of the best high marks by 
age pitcher uh, since 1992, at least in 1997. And at the age of 39, they also had the OG Ricky Henderson, who led the AL in stolen bases this year with 66. I also think that might have been the year that he broke the overall record. Somebody let me know, some OG let me know, because I vividly remember on TV where they had him taking a base off the field and I think that was because either he it must have been him you know leading the league again or I, I think he broke that record but I vividly remember uh, a cut of him at some point during the season on the news of him you know having that celebration where he takes a base and something like that somewhere around this time uh you also got outfielder ben grieve who will go on to win the rookie of the year with a 289 batting average he also drove in 18 home runs as well as 89 rbis now in 1999 the A's was finished second in the al west with a record of 87 and 75 this is their first winning record since 1992 and this will be the first of Eight, uh, eight straight winning seasons. Now, Matt Stairs will finish this finish the year as an MVP candidate. Uh, shortstop Miguel Tejada will also uh, step his game up, batting a two hundred batting at 251 and also driving in 221 home runs. Jason Giambi would have a 315 batting average as well as 33 home runs. He also uh, was second in the American League in walks at 105. So he was walked 105 times by pitchers. They didn't even want to pitch to him. He also drove in 123 uh, RBIs, which was six in the uh, six in the AL. And he also finished the year as an MVP candidate as well. Now, we're going to go on to the money ball time, real money ball time. This is in 2000, and this is the first time the A's would make the playoffs in this period. Now, the A's will finish the 2000 season at 90 and 71 beating out the Mariners by a half game to win the AL West. And it's the first time they will reach the playoffs in eight years. Uh, they would also add pitchers Mark Mulder and Barry Cito, forming a big three with your man Tim Hudson. And they and uh, Hudson would finish that 2000 season with an all-star appearance alongside 20 wins. And he also finished second in the AL Cy Young voting. Now in terms of offense, Oakland would be led, would score 947 runs this will be the highest in the American League. And of course, Jason Diambi would lead the way and would become the year's MVP. Now he led the uh led the majors in on-base percentage. Again, that is Oakland's key stat here. OPB on pace on-base percentage. He had a 467 on-base percentage. He also led uh, the league in walks at 137. And I think this record of walks was not broken until about the 2000 tens almost if i'm not mistaken somewhere around there he also was seventh uh in the american league in batting average with 333 he also was second in the american league in home runs he also beat out hall of famer frank thomas for the mvp award that year so the a's they they caught fire when they did uh this team also hit a franchise record 239 home runs and nine different players had 10 or more home runs that year however the a's will come up short in the first round of the playoffs losing in the alds to the yankees three games to two uh, now, in 20, 20, uh, 2001 and 2002, the A's would see even more improvement. In 20, uh, 20, sorry, in 2001, uh, 20, uh, 2001, uh, the A's would begin uh, winning just two of their first 24 games, and they would go 39 and 42 by the All-Star break. 
Now, on the flip side, their rival uh, Seattle Mariners were 52 and 14 and basically had a 21 game lead at that time. Now, after the break, the A's will go 63 and 18, which would be an MLB record post All Star break. And they had 29 wins in their final 33 games. Who does that? Who can do that? The big three, uh, along with uh, added pitcher Corey Little, who signed in the offseason with 48 and 10 at, uh, at when they started. Now, uh, third baseman Eric Chavez, he also uh, became a factor this year. He had a 288 average with a 338 OPB on base percentage, as well as 32 home runs and 114. RBI. So again, a lot of different people uh, caught life with this organization. It's amazing just how many people found success here. Um, now you also got, mm, yeah, you also got a good performance again out of Jason Giambi, who had uh, 477 on-base percentage, which was the highest in the American League that year and the highest since 1995. He also led the American League in slugging percentage at 660. He's also a second in terms of batting with a 342 average. He also drove in 38 home runs and also 120 RBIs and finished second in the MVP rating, excuse me, and also won a Louisville Slugger Award. So again, the A's, you know, just found was finding a lot of different success with a lot of different people again uh they also brought in johnny damon that year who will go on to have a 2.56 average they got him in a trade for bing reed he also put in 16 home runs as well as 108 runs in general now in terms of that bullpen which was also pretty successful and very important to the a success uh they were able to bring in pitchers like chad bradford who was able to sport a 2.70 era in 2001 in 2001 with 34 strikeouts coming in in the Reliever position. He also had Jim Messier, who had a 3.45 uh, ERA. He only gave up four home runs that entire season and had 61 strikeouts. And the big guy here who I like the most. Jason Isringhausen, who had two, who had a 2.65 ERA with 74 strikeouts. He did not give up a whole lot of home runs as well. The A's will also bring in off outfitter Jermaine Dye over the season via, K, via a trade with Kansas City. He will go on to average 297 uh, that year, along with a 417 slugging average and an offensive percentage of 913. He also was able to get in 13 home runs and 59 RBIs with his time with the A's that year. The A's will go on to finish that season 102 and 60 which was good enough for second, but they were not able to catch the Mariners as the Mariners were able to win an MLB record, if I'm not mistaken, 116 wins. But they were they were still able, the A's were still able to get a wild card. And to this day, they are the most winningest team with a wild card. They are the wild card team with the most amount of wins. Oakland again will lose in the first round of the playoffs to the Yankees this time in five games again and eventually after the in the offseason uh, Jason Giambi and also Isringhausen would leave so they will leave the uh, Jason Giambi would go on to the Yankees and Isringhausen will go on uh, to, to the St. Louis Cardinals now we're going to uh, go back to 2002 now 2002 outside of losing Giambi to the Yankees like I said and also Jason Isringhausen to the Cardinals the A's 
would also lose Johnny Damon to the Red Sox, but they were able to bring Scott Hatterberg, who was able to average a 284 in 2002, along with 15, 15 home runs for them, as well as 61 RBIs, and he also brought in David Justice, who was able to get a 266 average with them, along with a 376 on-base percentage. He also got an 18 home runs for them as well. The A's will start off the season uh, so-so, going 15 and 10, but would eventually go 5 and 16, and then by the time May 23rd came around in 2002, they were just 20 and 26. Uh, the A's would catch fire just for a brief second, going 16 and 1 between June 6th and June 24th. Uh, but again, uh, that, and that would bring them down to just two games out of first place. But again, they would play f about 500 baseball for the rest of the month, and that would and that would basically put them a few games down in terms of the first place position. So they would go. I think they would go. They went from two games back, I believe, to about six or seven games back in that period of time but out of nowhere again they will catch fire and they will make MLB history now starting on October the 13th with a win versus Toronto the, the Toronto Blue Jays the Oakland A's will go on a 20 game winning streak and during that period of time their starting pitcher Corey Little will go 5-0 and in this stretch with a point 2-0 ERA, allowing just one run in his final start of that month. Balling, balling. Closer clo uh, Billy Coke, who they got via trade with the Toronto Blue Jays, would earn a win or a, a or a save in 12 of those games. So these games were coming down to the wire. And also in the 18th and 19th games, uh, Miguel Tejada was able to score a game-winning hit via a home run or an RBI being driven in. I remember those games. Man, hmm. I'm telling you, one thing Moneyball did do was do a good job of capturing that because they would even have in the movie excerpts of those actual telecasts. And I'm sitting there having like flashbacks. Like, I remember this game. I remember that. I vividly, oh man, that movie was great, by the way. Oakland would go on to beat Kansas City 12 to 1 to get their 20th, their league record 20th win in a row uh, with a one out. Uh, basically a walk-off home run by Scott Hatterberg in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, they would they would actually gave they actually gave up an 11-0 lead in that game, but they were able to pull through and were able to win their 20th game in a row and the streak would come to an end September the 6th with a 6-0 loss to the Minnesota Twins. The A's would go on to finish that 2002 season with a record of 103-59, winning the, a, uh, the AL West by four games beating out the Anaheim Angels. Miguel Tejada would be the 2002 MVP with a, 300, with a 308 batting average, 34 home runs, and also 131 RBIs. Uh, Barry Zito would also be that year's AL Cy Young Award winner, uh, going 23-5 as a starter with a 2.75 ERA, also getting 182 strikeouts. He also went 8-0 in his last 10 starts. The A's, uh, unfortunately, will lose again in the first round of the playoffs, this time to the Twins, again in five games. Now, between two, uh, 2000 and, and 2003 and 2006, the A's would uh, make the playoff, would actually win the division twice. Uh, it would be under manager, a new manager, uh, Ken Macha. They will also miss the playoff between 2004 and 2005. 
Now the big three, uh, Mulder and Hudson, uh, part of the part of the big three would leave Mulder and Hudson, uh, but Oakland uh, would leave Oakland, but Barry Zito would stay for a little while longer. Now, in 2005, closer Houston Street would become the AL's Rookie of the Year, recording 23 saves, and also had an ERA of 1.72. And uh, he also finished second in the AL. Uh, but the A's would finish second in the AL West uh, with seven games out of first place that year. Uh, and the team would also sign, eventually sign Hall of Famer. Uh, Freight Thomas, Hall of Famer first baseman, to a one-year deal. He eventually lead the A's in home runs with 39 that year. This was in 2006, and uh, he would also go on to place fourth in the MVP voting. Uh, Oakland would go on to finish that 2006 season 93 and 69, and they were swept by Minnesota again in the first round. Kind of heartbreaking, but uh, actually no, I'm sorry, they did not lose. I'm sorry, they actually swept. Minnesota uh, in 20, 2006. I'm sorry, y'all. They went 93 and 6, and they actually swept Minnesota in that first round. And this was their first time reaching the second round since 1992. And this would be the only the only series that Billy Bean has ever won so far in Oakland. However, Oakland will be swept in that second round against the Tigers, and uh, that was very disappointing. Now the Barry Zito experiment would go on. Uh, to move across the bay you know he that went on to end the very next year in 2006 i think with 2007 he went on to go to the giants and he eventually win a world series there unfortunately and uh manager kim macho will be fired after 2006 and he will be replaced by and actually their third base coach uh ken washington ron washington excuse me will go on to work for the uh the managers i mean for the for the houston rangers as their manager so um with all that being said um you know that kind of marks the end of everything and uh let's let's talk about what it all means and and what where everything stands today with the a's real quick uh for billy bean he was a three-time sporting news executive of the year in 1999 2012 and also 2018 he was also a two-time mlb executive of the year in 2018 and also 2012 because eventually he would go on to become the A's. He was promoted to the A's executive vice president position in 2015. He will also go on to win the 2012 Greatness in Baseball Yearly Award and also the 2012 Rube Foster Award for AL Executive of the Year. Now, um, with that being said, I think the MLB recognizes just the plight the A's have to go through. And I think as a fan, I think um, just foremost, when I when I first initially think about everything, um, sure, there's some some very heartbreaking moments. Of course, there's some frustration um, not being able to get past the first night round and um, not even at least having a World Series appearance, which really, really would have been great, at least a World Series appearance. Um, but I think where we had come from before that, which was anonymity. And it was so anonymous, the A's were so anonymous to everybody that I, there was like, as a fan coming into coming into uh, being an Oakland A's fan, it was almost like there was a disconnect from those teams that won those World Series to my generation of fandom and, and the Moneyball fans. So it's almost like there were two different uh, Oakland A's almost. And, um, you know, 
because there was so much. I mean, because again, when the Oakland A's went south, they went south. Now maybe Oakland and the Bay Area isn't necessarily a baseball hotbed, so it's not like you know, gonna, you know, people are gonna follow them and just talk about everybody every year, like the Yankees or the Red Sox. But again, it was almost like they fell off the face of the earth. And um, for what it's worth, Moneyball did a lot to make Oakland relevant in baseball again. And uh, despite the hardships, despite all that, uh, we we uh, we turned a lot of well, that team turned a lot of things around. And I think for what where it came from, uh, just what it was able to accomplish in terms of being a continual playoff contender, at least, I think that means a lot. Uh, uh, some more all-stars and award award winners, of course. There were so many that we could talk about, but let's go through them all right now because there were so many. We got pitcher Tim Hudson, who was an all-star in 2000. He also led the AL in wins in 2000. You got Mark Mulder, who's a two-time all-star in 2003 and 2004. He was also he also led the AL in wins in 2001. And you also got Barry Zito, another three a, a three-time all-star in 2000, 2002, 2003. And also 2006 and also he's the AL wins leader in 2002 and of course we know about the Cy Young award in 2002 you know for what it's worth how often do you have the the division well the uh, league leader in wins for three straight years see I just thought about that yesterday so there's there's so many things that the A's did that were great without necessarily winning the title and good without necessarily winning the title so I, I think yes, there was some unfulfilled potential that could we could have gotten, but I think there was some success that we need to relish in as well. I mean, you don't, you don't, it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't happen often that you get three of the league's best pitchers year after year after year. Meaning they, in terms of wins, they got the most year after year after year. There's no, there's no way. And then, and of course, Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder were Cy Young candidates as well. So again, you, you had great pitching. We had great pitchers. We had, we developed some of the best talent, some of the best, but we scouted some of the best talent as evidence that some of these players going on and moving on to winning World Series and going on and doing that like Johnny Damon. Uh, uh, and also even um, Tim Hudson and Barry Zito. Uh, you also got Jason Giambi, who was a two-time All-Star with the A's in 2000 and 2001. Like I said, he was the AL MVP in 2000. He won the Silver Slugger Award in 2001. He also led the A's in on-base percentage three times. The most important stat in the Moneyball era, on-base percentage. Jason Giambi was able to lead in that three separate times as an Oakland Athletic. Uh, we also got Miguel Tejada, who won the AL MVP in 2002 and also was an all-star with the A's in 2002. You also got Eric Chavez, who was a six-time Gold Glove winner at the at the third base in position. And he also, between 2001 and 2006, and he also was a Silver Slugger in 2002 as well. You got offensive, uh, I'm sorry, not offensive, but an out, you got off, outfielder Ben Reeve, who was an all-star in 98 and also a Rookie of the Year in 98. Uh, and I think that's where when I started to think about it one thing that really always frustrated me as a fan and I think would frustrate a lot of other A's fans was was I feel that we did have our moments uh, where we would fall apart but I or we would lose but I think we always felt like we were just one step away and if we were given one more shot with the team we had we might have been able to do something yeah, I think you give us another year of Johnny Damon and, and maybe Jason Giambi, we 
probably we probably would bring a World Series to Oakland. You give us uh, Miguel Tejada, Jason Giambi, maybe for one year as a cohesive unit. There's no telling. I feel like a lot of these players kind of went off and did their thing a little bit too soon. Um, and with some of these players, they never got back right. They had a, a ton of success with the A's and just never got right. For example, you got Bing Grieve. Like I said, he was an All Star '98 and a Rookie of the Year '98. But after he was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays, he just never got right. Something about being in that Oakland lineup and all that really helped out a lot of these, these players. And a lot of them weren't really the same afterwards. Um, you got catcher uh, Ramon Hernandez, another all-star in 2003. Another reliever, Jason Esringhausen. Uh, we talked about him before. He was an all-star in 2000. We also got uh, reliever Keith Folk, who was an all-star in 2003. He was also a reliever of the year in 2003 and was the AL saves leader that year as well with 43 he also had a nine and a nine and one record uh that year as well with a 2.08 era and for those of you who may not know about him he will go on to move on to the, the red sox that very next year if i'm not mistaken and win a world series with them so again imagine that those players stayed a year or two longer with the a's you don't know you also got duxton uh J justin duke shire excuse me who was a two-time all-star in 2005 and 2008 with the a's he had a two uh 2.21 ERA in 2005 and was a product of the Sacramento River Cats triple A system so a homegrown Oakland A's talent there as well and finally we got uh, uh, designated hitter John Jaha. Now, this is a very interesting story right here. He's from the Portland, Oregon area. He became an all-star in 1999, and uh, his, mo his most productive year was in uh, 1999 uh, as well. He's, he was a player, uh, I believe, starting at least since the 80s. He had played... Uh, uh, since he had been playing since the 80s at that point uh, but in 1999 he uh, he scored 35 home runs which is a record by uh, an Oakland designated hitter and he also drove in 111 uh, RBIs and he was the AL comeback of the year in 1999 so again the A's can turn around and make talent happen and they can make talent work in my opinion they've always had a track record of doing that and they've been doing that with uh with non-household names for numerous years that has to account for something and imagine if we did have a, a, a bona fide star too we'd win a world series or two that's my opinion and i think that's why it, it's frustrating to be an A's fan but at the end of the day it's been exciting it's always been a good run the A's would also return back to the top of the al west uh, winning the division back-to-back uh, -back between 2012 and 2013. In 2012, the A's will go 94 and 68. Like I said, winning uh, the AL West with a with a 12 to 5 win in the last game of the season uh, against the Rangers. The A's were, uh, tr like I said, the A's had been trailing the Rangers that year by 13 games starting on June the 30th, and then they were then trailing by five with just nine games remaining. The A's uh, did this with a 15, uh, with a, sorry, with 15 walk-off wins and one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, just coming in at 59.5 million. Uh, the A's would go on to lose that year in the first round as well uh, to Detroit in five games. Now, in 2013, the A's would uh, again win the AL West 
going 96 and 66 but again they lost to detroit in the first round now uh in 2014 the a's would go 59 and 36 before the all-star break but only managed uh, to win 16 in the last 46 games losing the division to the angels by 10 games and they finished that year 88 and 74 but the a's will qualify for a wild card spot uh and they would have to face uh, kansas city this was one of the most frustrating losses that i did see that i will say that uh they were they ended up losing that game nine to eight in extra innings uh in the 12th inning to be exact uh, and they were leading that game seven to three and they also were leading uh eight to seven going into the 12th inning and it just uh that game there just really uh, just bothered me. I hated that one. Uh, but some more notable star uh, all-stars in that period, uh, that, that 2010s period, we got third baseman Josh Donaldson, first baseman Brandon Moss. You also got outfitter Eurenis Cespedes. You also got some pitchers here, Sean Doolittle, Gio Gonzalez, who went on to find some success with the Washington Nationals as well. You also got Scott Kazmaier. You got some few a few more pitchers here, Dan Heron, Andrew Bailey, also Trevor Cahill, Ryan Cook, Bartolo Colon, Grant Balfour, we also got catcher Derek Norris, pitcher Jeff Samarja, another catcher here, Stephen Voigt, first baseman Yandere Alonzo, got uh, shortstop uh, Jed Lowry, we also got pitcher uh, Jake Terrian, we also got uh, third baseman Matt Chapman who went in last year, we also got pitcher Liam Hendricks as well, and the A's also were able to uh, to have two all-star uh, managers as well, Kim Macha and Bob Melvin. So there's talent all over the board here. There was always talent in Oakland. I think the question has always been, how can they take it and uh, and convert that into some trophies? I think that's that's always been the biggest thing. In 2018, the A's would uh, would finish 97 and 65 uh, to finish second in the division, uh, but they will qualify for another wild card. This will be their first playoff appearance in four years, and Oakland will lose that wild card game uh, 7 2 versus the Yankees. And as of today, the Oakland A's are 60 and 47, currently eight games back in the, in the division, the AL division, the AL West division, uh, but they are currently second in the wild card race. So there's definitely hope for them to get to the playoffs this year as well. All right, y'all, I'm going to call it a wrap for today. Um, my next episode, it will be a word on the street update. Of course, we're going to be talking about Trump's comments against Baltimore. Was he right? Was he wrong? Is he a racist? We've talked about all this before. We're still doing it. Why? 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 I don't know. The media has something, has things that they feel they need to talk about. But whatever. Uh, later on in this week, we also got another college football update coming for you guys. Another college football preview for you guys. Uh, my next one, I'll be going over, the, of course, some more recruiting, of course, some more top 25. And as far as my conference previews are concerned, I'll be going over the Big Ten and also the SEC as well. And I got another movie review for you guys. I'm going to be going over the Lion King, the new one. Yes, the live action. I did go see it. So, yep, we'll be talking about that, uh, that this week as well. If you you are looking to get in touch with me i do have a facebook page as well as an instagram as well uh, you can look me up there at l jamal johnny that is e l j a m a h a d j a and i once again that is l jamal johnny that is e l j a m a h a d j a and i i also have a facebook page specifically for the show as well at never out of bounds once again never out of bounds and also uh if you're looking to get 
you to if you're looking to directly reach me uh my email will be the best bet and that is elj butler 75 at gmail.com once again that is elj butler at uh, oh, 75 at gmail.com elj butler 75 at gmail.com that is my uh most personal contact and uh that's it for today y'all if anybody hasn't told you yet i love you peace out one love and i'll holla at y'all later